Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. We are so excited to share this episode with you. We interviewed Anna Kelly on today's show. Such a great episode, right, Andressa? It is. She's just full of joy. Yeah, she was a rock star. We, um, what I appreciated most about this episode, there were so many great nuggets you're going to get from this episode, but what I think I appreciated most was her journey to retiring. So for 15 years, she built her real estate portfolio. She had ups, she had downs, she had twists, she had turns, and she didn't give up. And on today's episode, we really get into her path and how she got to where, you know, she is today, which is retired and, you know, loving life and really building her real estate business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Anna is the clear example of setting the right expectations for all of us. Sometimes we have that clear path to financial freedom and we ignore the turns and how all those challenges can bring a lot of experience to ourselves. So you guys going to listen through Anna's story. What can we all expect on our journey? Right now, her portfolio is evaluated in more than $12.5 million. So when we look at her, we think, oh my gosh, she's so lucky, right? She just closed on this 10, 15 unit apartment complex and we ignore all her journey. So I'm so excited for you guys to listen to her journey and really get inspired and motivated to keep going. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show. We're so happy to have you all back on this week's episode. And we have Anna. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, ladies. Yeah, we're looking forward to jumping into your story. And Anna's got a lot to share with us. Um, I have like so many questions prepared because I'm really curious about so many things of her path. It's just really fascinating. So we're going to jump into that as we do in a moment. Um, but Andressa and I always like to connect with all of you amazing women listening to this, supporting this community. Uh, just really appreciative of you being on this journey with all of us because we're really on a journey. Yeah. <laughs> we're learning and growing, right, Andressa? Every day. Yeah, <laughs> we do really not have it all figured out. <laughs> So with, with regards to just something to share with all of you, the, you know, ladies listening and just we'd like to share kind of tips or awarenesses or just something that was an aha for us personally, just because, you know, just trying to share and support all of you. Something that's been coming up for us a lot, and I, I think I've shared this in other, other venues, is I'm on a journey of really creating more uh, processes, systems and processes and documenting these things. Uh, and, and creating little those standard operating procedures in, in our business. And um, which I know um, some of you know that I just absolutely love. No, I don't actually. But um, I know how important it is and I know the value of doing this. So anyway, I was talking with someone yesterday and people lately have been like, I want to help you. I want to be part of your what you're doing. And so I had a call with a gentleman yesterday uh, and, uh, and he, he said, you know, do you frequently ask questions? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, you know, an investor comes, they want to invest with you guys. You're doing this and that. And I'm like, that's a great idea. <laughs> and it was so funny because I, I, I stepped away from that conversation and I'm like, here we've been in business for over like 10 years, right? 
And the thought of frequently asked questions, I mean, think about the frequently asked questions. If you have an investor that comes to you, there's the same questions, right? What's your experience? What's your general, you know, return? Um, what, you, what happens X, Y, and Z? Can I invest with my IRA? I mean, it's the same questions. And I'm like, what a moron, right? We never thought to put this together, but it's so important. So I share this with all of you, not just because I, I feel like a moron that we didn't have this, but we're putting it together. I, I share this with all of you because if you don't have a track record, a documented track record, whether it's small, whether it's large, but written down and frequently asked questions that you can give to investors, you can give to people that want to partner with you, you can give to people that really want to work with you, um, it's so, so important. And even if it's not investors, say it's... Um, uh, other other customers, so to speak, for your own business. Have those things where it's like you can cut down on your time and yeah. cut down on, you know, answering the same things for people. So I just thought that was a great point and I'm working towards it. And <laughs> just at first, I'm like, wow. what a moron, I didn't think of this, you know? But anyway. You can even think about, for example, for the folks that are rehabbing or building, right? right. I'm, I'm all about the scope of work, the finishes. Because again, the GCs and the subcontractors are going to ask very similar Same questions. questions. Same questions. Okay. And unless you are doing a custom property where you really need to put different designs into it, yep. the size of the planks that I use for the flooring or the tile, the width, you know, it's the door, types of doors is like, is it? Four panels, six panels. What's what is right. it? No, it's the same, the same, the same, the same. But it needs to be somewhere. Otherwise, I'm spending time telling them all over again the same thing. It's just a waste of right. my time in the future. So at the beginning, uh, for the ladies that are listening, it might take a little bit of more uh, time. Liz and that are gonna sit down and really yep. think through how can we answer this? How can we be clear uh, with the language? maybe put a picture or whatever in the scope of work case, but that will save you time in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So those little time savers. So I just wanted to share that if you don't have something like that, you know, whether whatever it's applicable to your own business, right? Cause we're all in different like sectors of this, this real estate investing world do, do it because you know, I, I actually have all like 16 questions and I'm sure it's going to grow, but I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to jump into it. I am. I'm excited, you know, <laughs> Without further ado, um, Anna, so excited to have you on and really excited to jump into your story. And as we do with all of the amazing, amazing women we have on this podcast, and we're so, so grateful for, is, you know, what propelled you to get involved in real estate investing? I know you've been at it for some time, and uh, I just would love to hear your story, how you started, where you are today, and then we'll, we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. So way back about 25 years ago, I was um, working for Bank of America and going through all of the financial advisor training and getting on my licenses. And I had um, like the wealthiest clients at Bank of America in our portfolio as their um, relationship manager. And we were you know, trained to tell them to invest in stocks, bonds and mutual funds and get these great returns. And I had several of them, obviously much older than me, just kind of laugh and say, you know, we make much more than that in our real estate investments. And so even 25 years ago, I thought, you know, I know what to do with money once I have it, but I don't know how to get it. But I think I need to invest in real estate. And so it just piqued my interest to start thinking about real estate. And so the first property that I bought was just a condo instead of renting an expensive apartment in Houston. I decided to buy a condominium to live in. And then I bought a house in a up and coming development, hoping to make a bunch of money, you know, to live in. And then after I had my first child in 2003, 
um, all of the Flip This House shows started to come out on TV. And I thought, you know, I, I was very career driven, very much um, about upward mobility in a corporation until I had my baby. And at that time, all I want to do is just stay home with them. And I thought there's just no way I can do it because my husband was a new chiropractor and had six figure school loans and I just had to work. And we thought, oh, I can flip a house or two and replace my income and I'll be home in no time flat. Well, it took me 15 years to get home, you know, with my kids to where I really am a full-time entrepreneur and can now kind of, um, you know, continue to work, but be in control of my time. So that house flipping, the very first flip that we did in 2003, we had a four-month-old baby when we started it. It took forever to flip. We had lots of problems with the contractors, made lots of mistakes, and and basically lost about $10,000 when it was all said and done. And that, you know, kind of jaded me a little bit about flipping. And I just kind of took a step back until I decided a few years later to get involved in rental properties Uh instead of flipping um, as, as my way to start replacing my income. Well, I love what you're saying, though, because a lot of people that watch HDTV and they see how, quote unquote, easy things are. I do believe it sets the wrong expectations for people and then people get very disappointed. Oh, Absolutely. I did not make a six figures on my first flip. What do you mean I need to make 10 offers, 100, see 100 properties to get a deal? What do you mean I'm not going to be financially free in a couple of months? What do you mean I cannot replace my income in a couple of years? It is the wrong expectations. And then we have a lot of people getting into this business with that mentality. And then they feel that they feel because it's just the wrong expectations. And you're sharing hard work. You Mm. lost money. You kept going. You shift around. Your your personal life changed. You shifted again and shifted again. Mm -hmm. Before this call, ladies, I'm going to share with you guys. We had technical issues around. We have noise coming from outside. And Anna was like, I'm going to handle it. I'm going to go there and ask them to turn it down or turn it off. And that's life. That is real estate. Things are going to happen and you're going to have to switch around. But yes. have the right expectations, right? And really like dealing with it when, when, when they come. What do you think though? made the difference for you when you started and then you're like, oh, there's a bump here. What made you continue? You know, I think just that really big why, that really um, big important thing for me, which was to be able to be more present and spend more time with my kids. And, you know, we went through so many um, unforeseen circumstances that we thought we had mitigated and we thought we were doing well. And, you know, during that flip, my husband lost a job and we had two house payments. We had one job. We had a six figure school loan and a new baby with medical problems. And it was just like, you have no choice but to pull up your bootstraps, you know, put on your big girl panties and just keep going, as they say in the South. (laughs) And so, you know, I just decided I can't give up. We have to push through and we have to figure this out. And so, um, during that time also the market started to crash and so you know things were just staying on the market longer because we were starting to to see some signs of early recession and you know we bought rental property out of necessity so 
thinking, oh, well, my husband's a chiropractor and he's going to make six figures his first year that he goes out on his own. We thought, we'll just start a business. So we started his business with several hundred thousand dollars in debt. And we bought a rental property that had tenants to help pay for the mortgage of the office space. And, you know, the first year he did really, really well. We also bought a four unit to live in because we thought, well, we're starting out in a new state. My job wasn't guaranteeing me to, to work from home at that point. And I knew he wasn't going to make any income. So I thought, well, at least these rental properties will cover our expenses and show us how it is to be a landlord so that maybe we could start growing that. Mm-hmm. And we moved to Pennsylvania in 2007, started the business. And in 2008, everything crashed. I worked for AIG Life Insurance Company, which um, almost completely went under during the financial crisis. And my hopes and dreams of making a lot of money in real estate and being home with my babies literally slipped out before my eyes because I was losing my job, maybe losing our properties. Um, My husband was losing his business. It was really, really hard. And I just was kind of at a point of desperation to say, how can I figure this out? And if I lose my job, how can we be okay financially? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, when I lost almost three quarters of my 401k in the stock market, literally within a week, I took what very little I had left and I borrowed against it to buy another four unit because I thought at least I'll have a little rental income coming in and have something extra till I can figure it out. So I really started investing in rental properties out of necessity and just as a way to survive and figure out a way to, you know, eventually be home. Um, But there's so many unforeseen circumstances that happen with the market and the economy and then with healthcare that we really um, could not have expected. So we started off with so many um, rough situations that it just taught me to be resilient and to never give up and to continue to push through and, and figure out a different way to be home with my kids Um, And so there's been lots and lots of ups and downs, but it pays off when you just stick to it and figure it out. Yeah, absolutely, Anna. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't talk about those things enough, right? You know, there's so many, you know, so many people who talk about all the good things they're doing. And and, hey, believe me, I like talking about things, wins we have, you know, who doesn't, right? But, But quite honestly, people learn more when you talk about the things that don't go well, you know, and, and there are so many things that don't go well in this business. Yes. So I'm curious though for you. So, so, so you, you're, you're buying a couple of four units, you're, the market crashes, you're not in flips, you're, you're doing the rent, you're building a rental portfolio. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about those next ups and downs and then how you kind of transitioned to building the portfolio you have today. Um, and you're involved with some really, really large multifamilies. So I'm mm-hmm. really curious about that, that path. Cause there's so many secrets and nuggets, I think there, you know, that, the women listening can pick up on? Sure. So as I mentioned, you know, I had, I had bought another four units. So I had 12 units in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point I knew I started reading books about real estate and how to raise values of properties and raise values of multi-units. And so I knew kind of small multis was my sweet spot because not a whole lot of people were buying them up in our area. People were still trying to flip or do you know cash for keys and short sales or buying big multis. And we literally not only had no money, but we had negative several hundred thousand dollars of business debt. So it was very difficult to get financing. And I had attended a large um, seminar put on by some REI organizations on how to make money in big apartment buildings. I hired a coach and it turned out she was a fraud. 
She's oh. ended up in prison since then, but it really jaded, a whole nother story, really jaded me from working with other partners and doing anything with what I felt were people that were just crooked in real estate. And so for a couple of years, I honestly just was in kind of a funk. I had gone to banks and asked them, hey, we've raised the value of these, these 12 units. Can we borrow against it to buy more property? And every bank that I talked to said no, big banks, small banks, you know, because number one, they knew I worked for AIG and AIG was under government um, control, basically <laughs> government um, administration short term because of the billions of dollars that they had to borrow to stay afloat. And so they knew my husband's business was in the negative. I work for a company that was maybe going to go under and didn't have any money and was negative. So I was very unattractive to banks. And so for a couple of years, I just focused on, you know, raising my kids, helping my husband's business stay afloat and continuing to fix up our own 12 units. As they moved out, we'd make them nice. We'd raise the rents and at least focused on making more with those um, than I did buying more property. So eventually I was kind of burnt out. You know, I was working for the last 12 years, really between my husband's business and our rentals and my four kids and my job, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, nonstop, almost all year long. And I just was at a point, a breaking point, to be honest with you. Like, I just can't do this anymore. I got to figure out a way to, to give up the job and to do real estate. So I started going to some meetup groups and reading some books on creative financing and decided to get back in it. And the very first meetup group that I went back to, I met an investor who stood up and said, hey, I've got a three unit property for sale um, in the town that I'm in. And I walked up to him after and said, hey, would you be interested in owner financing? So I had read all about how to do it, but I had never done it. And I didn't have the confidence that I could actually convince somebody to owner finance. Um, but we met for lunch the next day, looked at the property and we struck up a deal. And that one deal five years ago was enough to give me the confidence that, you know what, I don't need the banks. I don't have to work with other people, which was a mistake in that mindset at the time. But that's where I was at the time. And I can just start going after and targeting off-market four-unit buildings from owners and try to buy them on owner financing. And I got three more four units in about a three-month period from that point. And then I was off to the races. So a couple of things there. I really want to dive into owner financing because I don't think that gets talked about enough as a great, great strategy. Um, before we go there, though, I think, I think I want to just dissect what you did at that meeting because not only did you educate yourself prior, right? So you're educating yourself. I love that you said, and I think when ladies listening, listen to what she did. She knew where she was. Okay, I have 12 units. I'm not ready yet to go and you know, buy anything else, but I can make what I have better. Yeah. I can make them more efficient. I can get them top because because quite honestly most people just want to look to something else and they don't focus on what they have yes. making that better so i i love that i love that you said that and you did that in that mindset and then you said i educated myself on creative financing and then i'm at a meeting and a guy gets up says what he said and you're like this is a great opportunity and then you went you went up to him so yes. so you know ladies listening you know you're gonna be you're gonna get a nudge there's going to be things that come up and go, this is a nudge. Listen to that. Act on it because you don't know if the next meeting, that, that guy may not even be there. Who knows? Absolutely. So you, you trusted your instinct. You knew enough to, to, to explore it and you struck up a deal. And then that really gave you the, I mean, that's just, 
that's a simple process, but it's a hard process and a powerful process. Yes. So, um, so that's awesome. Kudos to you. I love that. Thank you. And Liz, I learned so much from that too, because I just kind of did it. And even though I had confidence in myself in the corporate world and I had confidence in myself, you know, in general, always trying to take on things that were over my experience level when it came to, to that and to real estate, I just never really thought, you know, I don't have any money. I've got a lot of debt. I don't have a lot of experience. Who in the world's going to trust me? The banks weren't, you know, so I didn't have that confidence. And I kind of told myself, you know what, you can do this. You've, you've done many things that were far beyond what you thought you could do. Just do it. And, and worst case, someone says no. And since he said yes, it really just boosted my confidence to where now I'm always fearful of the next level thing. My next big multi-level, I was scared to do it. Sure. But when you just push through and you say, you know what? I'm stronger than I think I am. I'm smarter than I think I am. I'm just going to put myself out there, be honest and real with where I am and what I'm looking for. And every time doors open now, I walk in that path and yeah. I, I just step up and I, I try. And nine times out of 10, it's successful. And so I've just learned, you know, push yourself, do what you're not comfortable with, and you will get further and you just got to get creative and confident. I love that. And, and for, for, for the women listening to around owner financing, we hear a lot about different creative strategies, but tell us a little bit about that. I mean, break that down for us, because I think that's a great strategy that doesn't get talked enough, mm-hmm. you know, uh, out there. And I think it could really work well depending on the market and depending on, you know, what the motivation of the seller. So if you don't mind, share with us a little bit about how that process unfolded. Sure. So one of the things that I had read a lot about, and I, I really understood to some extent because of my former career as a um, private banker, is that a lot of times when owners have owned a a rental property for a long time, they're going to have a very large capital gain tax that they have to pay on that property. And the rate varies depending on, you know, the tax code at the time. But a lot of these retiring landlords, they love the idea of an income coming in. They just don't want to have to handle tenants and toilets and tubs and you know, their buildings are starting to age because a lot of times they've owned them, you know, 20, 30 years, and they know that they're going to have to put a lot of money in them if they want to get top dollar, and they're going to pay a big tax hit. And so I, I knew that that was kind of the motivation for any seller. And the gentleman that stood up and offered his property for sale, he was retiring and he was older. And he said he had a couple of properties and he was going to keep the singles that were easy, but wanted to kind of get rid of these. And I also knew there was opportunity in this building for me to make it worth a lot more money um, to add a unit, to fix them up. And so I thought, I'm not as concerned about price as I am with terms because I couldn't get a bank loan at that point. And I just thought, listen, I'll talk to the guy and say, what's your motivation for selling? And he was retiring. And I asked, how long have you owned the building? And do you know what you're going to do with the money? And how are you going to pay the tax you know, the taxes. And so in talking about that, he really didn't know how he was going to pay the taxes. He really didn't want to have to pay the taxes. And he didn't care so much about cash up front. And he knew when he reinvested it, he wasn't going to make very much money because it was five years ago. And obviously CD and savings rates were really low. So I said, have you ever considered owner financing? And he said, no, not really. You know, and so I told him the benefits. I said, as a seller, if you sell a property on terms and you're the bank, you only pay capital gains on the portion of the principal of that sale that you're actually, you know, taking. And so anything that's delayed through a mortgage, you can delay your capital gains. And you also, um, I'm willing to pay you interest only. So I can delay the principal payments for up to five years and do a five-year note. Um, 
fix this property up in that five-year period so that I know that it'll be more valuable and I can refinance it at that point. And I'll pay you a 6% interest, which is three times what you could make in the bank. And you'll still have a monthly check. How does that sound to you? And, Ooh, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, and um, you know, he wanted to know more about me. And I said, you know, I'm willing to sign a, a, a owner guarantee. I have 12 other units that I have that, I won't cross collateralize, but if you ever had to go after me, you know, I do have some assets and I'm willing to put, you know, $5,000 down and he wanted $10,000 down. Um, he wanted a little more money because he was going to hold the paper. And I was willing to do that because again, I knew I could raise the value of that property and the price of the property wasn't as important to me as just getting the deal done um, because of what I knew my upside was. And so it was a really easy conversation. And, you know, he, we're now great friends and he's a fellow real estate investor. And he just, you know, told me that he appreciated that I was a mom. I told him I want to stay home with my kids. I'm investing so that I can get to a point where I can quit my six figure job and be home with my kids. And I'm just kind of starting out, but I'm, I'm um, someone that understands money and finances and I won't leave you high and dry. And he just wanted to help me. And, you know, it, it was really just him having that um, willingness to have a conversation and building that rapport. And then I did the exact same thing with the next retiring landlord, literally maybe two to three weeks later, and was able to work out multiple of these deals. And it just became much easier after the first one and gave me the confidence to keep doing it. But it's really attractive for sellers, especially those that are retiring. And so you go into it with the mindset of, I'm going to figure out how to help you. And then if it works for me, great. But when you, when you start off with not, I want to owner finance, this is why I want to do it. Instead, start out with how can I help you? What do you want from this? You build that rapport and often can really truly create a win-win relationship. Absolutely. So on our investor Facebook community, I think two days ago, I saw a situation where a person was trying to purchase a property and made an offer, the person ignored the offer, the seller ignored the offer, they have different conversations. Um, he was, he wanted to keep things open. And exactly what you were saying, you really shared with the seller, what were your goals, mm -hmm. personal goals, intentions, but you were very interested on what matters to him Yes, absolutely. And that is the key. People are going to sell to you really because they really trust you. Yes. They care about you. So besides talking numbers, people can put, you know, numbers on paper and sell and send a, a, an offer. It's not what's going to make a difference is how you build the relationship. So that's what the people were saying exactly what you're saying now on the, the group. You need to figure out what they care about. Yes. Don't you can't strike a deal just because on based on all your own needs only. Absolutely. And you know, I did research before meeting with each of these sellers to know, you know, basically on a price per unit basis, um, ballpark what's this property worth. Mm -hmm. And I knew kind of what my different interest rates were going to be that I could offer and still meet the numbers that I wanted to. But I didn't go in with a piece of paper saying I'm going to make you an offer. I said, let me see your property and let's have lunch or let's have coffee. So we walk the property, we build rapport for an hour or two, 
sat down and had coffee, had that conversation. And then at the end, I said, okay, now let's talk numbers. You know, where, what are you thinking? Where do you need to be? Well, have you thought about 5% or 6% or this price? And I knew going in what I could kind of negotiate in person. And the first time we signed the papers right there, you know, he, we had a contract, we just did it. The second time I presented them numbers. They weren't comfortable with them. It was a husband and wife. But I said, here's the comps too. So here are the other comps. Here is what it's worth. I'm going to let you go drive by those and see them and know that what I'm offering you is fair and come back to me and let's talk and figure out something that's fair for both of us. And they did that and thought, you know what, what you're offering is fair. They just wanted a little more money down. And we did the deal in the second meeting. So I didn't feel pressured that they had to sign right then or that I had to show numbers in their face. Um, It was all about building that relationship. Yeah. And I, I just want to reiterate that so many, especially, and I can't speak on every you know, niche in real estate, but I could speak certainly from like a multifamily perspective and every project, especially if we were in a, a, a unit and then we got to our next level, right? And then we said like, it's always done through a handshake, face-to-face with the owner approach, exactly what you're saying, Anna. And I think so many people hear all these different education and like just send in 20 offers. And I mean, you know, when it really comes down to like negotiating and working through numbers, like you were saying, do you take 5%? It's like exactly the conversations that mm-hmm. we also had with with sellers and and then you strike up a deal or just okay this isn't going to work and and but when you get to that point where you're thinking should I you know send in an offer or meet with them meet with them yes. because that's really where you're going to be able to negotiate and massage the numbers and figure out if it's a win win and maybe not on a hundred properties but if it's a, if it's something that's of value to you like it sounds like you were saying and like I think it just gets dismissed a lot in this business and people are just like just send in your offers from right. your dramas I'm like well. When you're really in certain, especially multifamily, I mm-hmm. don't know about the folks listening, but in my experience, it's always done face to face when it really comes down to it, especially as you're getting, you're increasing that, you know, size portfolio. Yes. Uh, and I think especially for women, since, you know, we cater really to women and we want to help other women. I've had so many people, agents and sellers tell me that they really appreciated that I was a woman working hard to support my kids yeah. and that gave them trust in me versus a guy that sent him a number that showed up in a suit. And I've had people actually tell me that. So, you know, one of the things we have a lot of disadvantages as women, you know, in terms of how we're viewed by some, you know, bigger investors, but we can use it to our advantage that we tend to be more trustworthy and people tend to trust us more when they know that we're out there trying to juggle being a good wife, a good mom, you know, a good investor, whatever it is we're trying to juggle. And we can use that to our advantage by just being real and, and, and telling them how we really feel and why we're doing this and what our motivation is. Absolutely. And, you know, fast forwarding years, years down the road, uh, you are now uh, doing syndication deals, you're investing, you're putting your eggs in different baskets. Yes. And, and sometimes we have this path that people tell first you wholesale and then you flip and then and then you buy your first rental and then like this linear mm-hmm. <laughs> road that is just like oh this is the only path yes so, drives me crazy it's crazy right so tell me how how your path how your map looks like right now in terms of how you're diversifying it and why Sure. So again, going back to just my training as a financial advisor many years ago, 
I really, um, it was grilled into me to really focus all of your investments on having a few different buckets. So diversification in general, you want things that are gonna weather every kind of economy and all of the unknown things that, that we don't know are gonna happen. And so, you know, all of us want some income. Most people start getting into real estate because they want some income. You also want things that are gonna grow in value ideally over time. And you also want to protect the money that you have earned. And very few people really focus on talking about asset preservation. Mm -hmm. And so real estate in general, especially residential real estate, and I say residential meaning where people live, whether it's a commercial asset or a small property, doesn't matter. But people always need a place to live. And so typically in real estate, if you buy in the right areas with good school districts and that are going to go up in value, they're going to meet all of those buckets. They're going to give you the income. They're going to give you the growth and they're going to give you that asset preservation. Where flipping and wholesaling are constantly transactional. As you know, Andressa, you've done tons of flips. Like you got to do another one and you got to do another one. And you got to do another one. And so for certain markets, when they're oversaturated with, you know, 500 new investors who think that they're going to flip and make $40,000 on yeah. their first flip <laughs> and people are just way overpaying for things right. and homeowners are way overpaying because they watch TV shows and think, hey, I can buy this property for more. It gets harder and harder to find really great deals um, yeah. in certain markets. And so I always knew for me, since I experienced that really bad flip on the first one, that it was smarter for me to do the job of the flip one time, cash out refi and take that money and use it to buy another one, but to keep the property so that I'm avoiding the capital gains, I control my profit really, you know, with what I take out and have that constant income stream. And then I have that property grow forever with asset preservation and growth in addition to the income. So for me, I never really wanted to become a wholesaler or a mass flipper. I really knew from the beginning that keeping rental real estate was the way to best meet all three of those buckets and diversify. Yeah. So then it really just became what kind of properties do I want to buy and where to give me some diversity so that it's not, not all the same exact types of properties so that I can weather, you know, some different kinds of markets. That's a great so point. that was my main you know, reason that I didn't try to jump in and do all these different things. Now, within residential real estate, I do believe in having a, a different types of properties. So I do hold single family homes. I like single family homes because they tend to go up in value more over time. The tenants tend to be much lower maintenance. So they stay three to five years, they'll mow their own lawn, they do their own snow removal. And so they're easy properties to self-manage where the four units are a little harder, you know, the tenants fight with each other over parking spots and, you know, snow. All kinds of things. And, you know, you're dealing with more people that are closer. So you're, you're dealing with more people headaches. Um, but those properties cash flow so much better than a single family home. So that, you know, I, I believe strongly in that. Then the larger multifamily buildings are much more passive eventually because you can afford on-site property managers and on-site maintenance. And so my trajectory was in the beginning, I had no money and I didn't really have time, but I made time. And as you buy more and more properties that you can keep in your own portfolio and can bank on that income, then you can afford to start investing in larger properties that are going to be more of a money commitment, but less of a time commitment. And so while I'm really focused on the larger multifamily now with partners and, and bringing in other investors to experience the great things about real estate, 
I will always continue to buy smaller properties in my own portfolio that are really my bucket for long-term income and long-term wealth that I don't have to be dependent on when a partner wants to sell the building. They're going to be there for the long-term. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love, I love what you said about just that mix of time and money because you, you, real estate takes both. It mm-hmm. may not take both of yours all the time, but, you know, yeah. trying to, to really navigate that. And, um, you know, I also love what you said about the whole, and Andres and I were literally just talking about this because we're planning out future mini-sodes. So as we interview women, we also have once a month, we do a mini-sode, 10-minute, you know, episode just on something that we've experienced or something that we want to share with our, our listeners and something that gets talked a lot about. I asked, a, I was at a gentleman, I was at a, a meeting the other day, all men. I was like, come on, come on, one woman, can you come please? But anyway, I was talking to a really good group of guys and one guy's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wholesale and flip uh, for a few months, make about a hundred grand and then yeah. put that hundred grand into a rental property. That's what I'm going to do. I'm like, you know, and I don't want to dismiss people's dreams, you know, and I'm right. like, God bless you. Awesome. You if you Santa want to have- and the honey bunny. Or the What's, that? Together. Yeah. What's that? You Santa Claus and the honey. So, <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, but hear, hear us, ladies, like the women listening, you know, wholesaling is a business in and of itself. Flipping mm-hmm. is a business yeah. in and of itself. These are not easy things to just on a whim, make a hundred grand and just, and then, you know, just put into a rental. Like, I don't know many people who have done it like that. Maybe after like the first, and, and there are people, please, there are exceptions to this rule, but I would be cautious if you want to get into rentals, exactly what Anna just said so eloquently on the strategies and preserving wealth and adding value, pulling out money, doing it over and over again. I love that approach. And it's a very mm-hmm. common, successful approach of people who are doing well in the space. Then go buy rental properties. Figure mm-hmm. out how to get into rental properties. Anna did. She didn't have the, you know, you you just said, I lost money in my first flip. I didn't have the money. You did some creative financing and boom, now you're into really large multis. And you, you're, you're, you know, so I, I encourage you ladies, figure out what you want and don't get into mm-hmm. other things so that you can go get into something else. Right. Because you burn out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't love what you're doing, you're going to burn out. It's hard anyway. You know, it, it's, like you said, whether you're building a business and systems and processes and people, you got to keep doing that. And it becomes full time where yep. with the rental properties, it's full time, but eventually it gets to the place where you could hire it all out and never have to do anything and really just be paid while you sleep. So even if you're doing the systems and the wholesaling and flipping and you love it, add rental real estate to what you're doing because it'll free up more time because you have more money to focus on what you really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. There's so many, there are so many ways to kind of slice and dice this. Um, you've, you know, you've four, four children, correct? Yes. Yeah. And, and you have a, you know, your, your husband. And so as you've navigated, now you're full-time in doing this and, and you're a full-time entrepreneur. Uh, what have you done to make sure that, because, you know, sometimes when we work for ourselves, we, you know, we could be the toughest bosses, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like I work harder, you know, for myself than I ever would for anyone else. Right. Mm-hmm. However, we're working towards our own business and it's something that I'm very passionate about. So how are you keeping it in check? And you recently transitioned to, to, to full-time. So how are you keeping it in check? How are you kind of, and again, balance is kind of like a myth. I don't know if yes. it's been such a thing. However, when we talk about balance and our mission here with the investor community, we're, we're saying there's so many things that are important to you. How do you create time and make time for all of it? That's really what we, when we mm-hmm. say balance, that's what we mean. So for you, how have you done it? You know, how have you transitioned full time? You know, your kids are getting, you know, 
they need they need your husband you know i know you've been married a long time so that needs nourishing right it doesn't just one and done you got to keep working on that too <laughs> how do you how do you do it all you know i i want to start out with saying that i think all of us struggle with this no matter how much you seem to have it together there is no such thing as constant balance and always doing it well and you know there are truly in 12 years of starting a business in real estate I might spend a year where I'm 100% focused on, I'm gonna lose weight, I've got a trainer, I'm at the gym and hubby has to get the kids ready for school. And they show up to school in nightgowns and without their hair brushed and their homework is left everywhere. And you know, I'm on the school board and literally my kids are getting, I'm getting calls that my kids are there in a nightgown. Like it was humiliating. Oh my gosh. I'm like, you know what? This year I'm committed to my health. I'm gonna be in the gym and they'll figure it out and they'll live. And so I've learned to just not let myself be as embarrassed that my house isn't always clean and that my kids show up at school with, you know, green panties and a white nightgown and, you know, things like that. That is just the reality of life. And so I used to be really hard on myself and try to be the perfect mom and the perfect wife and the perfect friend. And it's just not possible. And so that doesn't mean that we don't still strive. You know, I try to at least every morning get up and have my cup of coffee spend some time in prayer and in the Bible and just kind of get my head right. And then it's like nose to the grindstone nonstop. And I'm always with my kids, but I'm not always fully present, which is something that really drove me retiring, you know, this last May was I am doing well in business and I've done, you know, with all of that and, and they're great kids and we're always with them. But it was really important to me for two things. One, to get my own health, balance back and to really have time every single day to, to get to the gym after they're in school, but before, you know, I'm done for the day um, because they're all in sports every single day of the week. All four of my kids are in sports. So evenings are, you know, for working out or out lunch breaks are running business errands like post office and banks and all of that stuff. So now that I've retired, I'm really um, much more. Uh, it's really important to me that I make myself first thing in the morning have my devotions, go to the gym and spend time meal prepping before I start business. And so I'm committed to doing that now, but I really wasn't able to before. And so my balance in the past has been up and down. I'm really great at one thing. And then the next year, I'm like really focused on something different. And then the other things kind of fall apart. So I just say, don't beat yourself up, you know, have a personal goal, have a family goal, have your business stuff. And if you can get, you know, two of those things done every day, then your kids are going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You know, just do the best you can and, and do better each time. But the reality is you cannot be perfect and you just have to let go of that, that idea that you have to be the perfect everything. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Cause you know, us women, I think, I don't know why somewhere along the woman memo, we got the woman memo that said you need to be perfect. Like, I'm not sure where that started, but so many, I, I know so many women that struggle with that. It's hard for me to think about women who don't struggle with that, to be honest with you. And, and that those who don't, like, God bless them. Like, they should be just us all because I have no idea. <laughs> they only exist on Facebook, Liz. <laughs> exactly. Facebook. That is the truth. That is, <laughs> I always say, like, I look at, I go to the, I went to the pool yesterday and I'm looking around and all these little girls, like their hair is like perfectly done. And I look at my daughter and she looks like just this hot, 
mess, right? Her hair is all over the place. She always just looks like she's got food on her. Her bathing suit really doesn't fit her. I'm like, is that like an 18-month bathing suit? And I look oh, at the tag. It's not even 2T. The poor kid is running 18 months and she's two years old. I'm like, I should get rid of that bathing suit because her body is about to pop out of it. You know? And I'm like, I just laugh versus yes. like, I'm a horrible mom, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I love your story, Anna. Um, we can probably, uh, we got to have a part. We got to have you have part two here because you just got so many words of wisdom. Um, get you back on a multifamily. I really wanted to go. There. We, we didn't get a chance to go there as much as you know we wanted to. But where can the ladies listening learn more about all the amazing things you're up to? I know you're growing your business, and just you know, how can they learn more about what you're up to and, and connect? Sure. So I have a website which is reimom.com that you can find me on. Or on Facebook, it's Anna, R-E-I, Mom, Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, and you can find me there. Um, I also have a, a book that I was recently a part of called Resilience, Turning Your Setback into a Comeback, and I really highly recommend that book. Um, you can contact me for a copy, or in fact, if any listeners that want it, I'll send it to you for free if you just send me your address. Um, and otherwise, you can find wow. that on Amazon as well. Wow, that's a really nice um offer there so sure. all they need to do is send you their address sure that sounds great all right awesome well thank you again so much anna for being on our show and just you know living life on your terms i love your path love where you i just cannot wait to hear all the great things you're going to be working on and doing and everything so thanks for being on our show thanks for sharing your wisdom with the with the women listening thank you so much it was my honor and my pleasure and i'd love to do it again if you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews Go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.